Sweet potato pie is better than pumpkin. My name is Jason. I am the manager of the last video store in the universe, aka Binge Movies, coming to you from sunny tropical Akron, Ohio. Ooh, Thanksgiving. It's a slasher film. I'm going to talk about it. Spoiler free ish. It's a slasher film. It's very hard to spoil these things. You're going to hear <laughs> Iggy, the home video wonder pooch, in the background. Is she snoring? No. She's laying in a donut bed at my feet, staring at me. And this is what she sounds like. I, I think you'll probably be able to hear her. Now she's quieted down a little bit. I'm not sure you're going to be able to hear that. That was a waste of your time. Um, if you don't know, uh, I had a, a limited series I did with uh, Megan Kearns, who's a member of the Boston Film Critics Association and co-host of Spoiler Piece Theater, and uh, Paul from the Countdown uh, Countdown Review Podcast. What the hell is that thing called now? Sorry, Paul. I have just years of the countdown movie and TV reviews podcast, but I think it's just now the countdown podcast. They review stuff in order of awesomeness. So you don't have to, and they still talk about movies and whatnot. Anyways, we all powered up leading up to this past Halloween. We all teamed up to do a, a, a comprehensive series of the slasher boom, 1980 to 1984, not exhaustive, but comprehensive. So we watched round about 40 slasher films in a very short period of time. And we went month by month through every year by by release date and reviewed a bunch of movies. And we went we went national. We went straight to video. We 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 did every possible iteration of what a slasher film could be: made for TV, straight to video, made for the drive-in, made for the grindhouse, big budget. Well, you know, in relationship to uh, what a slasher film was, a major studio release. So I've watched a lot of slashers recently, so it only made sense that I go to the theater and watch a new slasher, because we don't get them very often, unless it's the Scream franchise, and talk about it. And and uh, and Eli Roth, this of course came out of a fake trailer for, a, for the Grindhouse series, and the fake trailer completely mastered the aesthetic of these, I would say like 1981, 1980 slasher films that were built around calendar days and holidays. It's where we get our, you know, happy birthday to me, Friday the 13th. Uh, the list goes on and on. New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Evil, uh, all this sort of stuff. So um, April Fool's Day, which is a little bit later. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so I was excited about it, uh, at least the theory of it. Then I saw the movie and um I'll go more into this in Patreon, but for the you know the extended cut for the patrons, because if you wanted this early and extended, this instant reaction, if you wanted it even more instantaneously, you could get it through patreon.com slash binge movies. Patrons of all levels, starting just $4 a month, get these instant reactions earlier and typically, not always, but typically extended. Boy, oh boy. Um, on the one hand, I want to say, this movie's a letdown. On the other hand, it's like, how does a movie that starts as a joke trailer let you down, right? It's a movie based on a joke trailer that was put together as an homage to slasher trailers from a bygone era 
And that, that movie's 15 years old, almost 20 years old now. So how do you say something that's 15 years old, who's from Eli Roth, who is a pretty hit or miss kind of director, um, is a disappointment, right? You had to know going into this that the margin for error, error was a little um, skewed a little differently. You know what I'm saying? Um, the problem with this film is the script is terrible. And it's not terror. It's 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 a script issue. It's a tone issue. It's a direction issue. It's an acting issue, and it's an editing issue. And more than anything that stood out to me was the editing, and why editing is important. And I'll dive into this more for Patreon. Is it editing controls your tone? It controls tone from scene to scene. It controls tone from moment to moment the purpose of a movie is to grip its audience and what and and whether that be a gradual gripping whether that be you know we're going to move you from we assume the audience is going to come into whatever the movie is with this perspective and the this set of emotions and we're about a topic or about characters or about issues or about and we're going to introduce an inciting incident and we're going to try to move the characters from feeling one way to another. So in, in a horror movie, basic, basic, basic ideas, you're not afraid, right? Like you're going through your life and life's kind of mundane. So we're going to stick you in the dark and we're going to slowly build atmosphere and we're going to, whether it's through blood and guts and gore or through whether it's through gothic imagery and 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 total atmosphere you know whatever whatever tool set you're using the goal is to take somebody who shouldn't be afraid who there's no reasonable reason for them to be afraid and make them afraid or disgusted or something right i'm gonna gross you out i'm gonna shock you i'm gonna scare you i'm gonna do all this sort of stuff that's the point of a horror movie comedies right nothing funny is happening around you we're gonna do something unexpected and you're gonna laugh right that's the purpose of a movie is to try to really manipulate you to try to get you to feel something and think something. And the best movies of all time, regardless of whatever their genre is, when they get you to think and feel something in that moment, they're getting you to think and feel from somebody else's perspective, which is why like Roger Ebert called them empathy movies, empathy machines, because I can use the power of narrative and use my tool set to get you to think and feel from the perspective of somebody who isn't you, I can get you out of your egocentrism if only for 90 minutes or two hours and whatever to think differently for a little while. And so therefore, you know, movies need to be gripping in some way, whether it's just pure sizzle, whether it's pure mind bending action, sequence, whatever it is, there's, there's no wrong way to do it. You've got a million tools at your dispersal. It can, you can be more reliant on gags or more reliant on jokes or more reliant on special effects or, and some of it's genre dependent. You can be more reliant on dialogue and performance, whatever. But the purpose of a movie is to grip you in some way. Some movies want to grip you the second they start and they don't want to let you go until the end, until they, you know, and, and they take you on a ride and that's the experience. And editing is one of the most powerful tools that a film has to be able to do that. Because editing, editing takes these scenes. How we make movies is we go off in the world and we shoot a bunch of stuff at disparate times and in disparate places. And then through the power of illusion, we try to make it seem like it's all the same place. It's all the same time, right? Or there's a logical progression, right? Where we're snapshotting all of this stuff 
and we're trying to make it seem as if it's it's happening in a fluid narrative. There's nothing fluid about a movie whatsoever. It's not shot in order. It's it's there's concentrated days of shooting. They're not shooting. You're shooting uh, 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 B footage and A footage. Like it's 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 assembly line. Like you're just it's kind of controlled chaos, and then you somehow have to harness the storm and bring it together. And that's what an editor can do. Okay. This where it's important for a slasher. It's important for a slasher because there has to be that gradual transition or that sudden transition from everything is safe and okay to something isn't right. Everything is safe and okay, and suddenly somebody's standing behind you. It's what they have. Guillermo del Toro uh, tells the, uh, I think it's a line from a book, and I can't remember what the book is or a short story. And it's like, um, you're the only person in the world in the last house on earth, and suddenly there's a knock at the door. The unexpected happens, and my God, right? And that's what, you know, if you want, no better example of it than I would say, I'll give you two films. One's one's a slasher and one's not a slasher, but they're both horror films. One is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay? Watch that movie. Even though we're going in and out of reality, from reality to dreams and dreams to reality, and this this the worlds are sort of melting into each other, there is a something creepy happens in the classroom that gets Nancy's attention. She looks out and then she looks at the door. Something's not right. We think we're in a dream. She looks at the door. Her dead friend's in a body bag calling her and beckoning her and walks away. She's dumbfounded. She goes out into the hallway. There's somebody in the hallway. It's not quite right. Then the body bag is there and the body bag's being dragged, but there's nobody dragging it. And that's not right. And you follow it and then you bump, you know. Screw your hall pass. Like, like, you know, it's it's a perfect transition. And then, boom, we're transitioned to a boiler room. Right? We go down the hall, and all of a sudden, we're in a boiler room. There's consistently a sense of, even though we're jumping from deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole into dreamland, into nightmare territory, into Freddy territory, there's a logical, geographical, emotional you have bear your bearings about you. You know the geography of the place. You are aware as intuitively as an audience member because the director and the editor has done such a great job that they, that the disorientation is not coming from negligence. It's coming from intentionality. Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, is discombobulating on purpose. That's what makes it so masterful is that Craven and his editor have complete and total control over what is confusing about that movie. You never get a sense that the movie got away from the director and the movie is always slightly ahead of you. It's the horse and, and you're the wagon and it's pulling you, not the other way around. Another great movie that does this is Frank Darabont's Blob remake from 88, I think. It just came out in 4K. Um, 4K is marginal, to be honest with you. It doesn't look that much better than the Blu-ray, in my opinion. But... That's my review of that. But we introduce characters. Every character in this town has a scene. Even if it's 20 seconds, that sums up. That's who that person is. That's their personality. And and are they caricatures? Kind of. But they feel more real than that. They feel more lived in than that. And so as we introduce all of these characters... And then the blob arrives, the blob's grown in the background, and then we, you know, we go from character moments to shock horror moments and back and forth, back and forth. So there's a convergence of stuff. 
and there's graphic, graphic gore, some of the most memorable gore ever put on film, and incredible character work as people in this town turn up dead, you feel something. And when they fight back, you feel something. The town, you always have a sense of what, where the town is, where they are in relationship to the town. There's, there's subtle establishing shots. When the asshole friend from the drugstore, who we know is a piece of shit, gets further revealed to be an even greater piece of shit than we thought he was in the car, we hear their voices, we see their car, the camera's low almost from a blob-like perspective, then we raise up the camera, and then we're from the car's perspective at a makeout point. We intuitively know what that is, looking down at the town, and we're seeing the police lights and the ambulance lights in the town from the scene we just left. So there's the edit does it for you, and the establishing shot does it for you, and Darabont does it for you. So we go from this horrendous graphic death of this guy's friend, who we think is going to be the hero of the, the movie, at the doctor's office, to a date rape situation uh, with the asshole friend, and we know exactly where we are in relationship to the town and to the and when we are in relation to the events we just saw. That's how you do it. That's how you make movies. Thanksgiving doesn't do any of that. There is no relationship between scene to scene. There's no relationship in tone. There's no relationship in perspective. There's no relationship in time. There's no relationship in there's it's it's there are moments in this movie that feel like they are set at random. That that, that it, it, to me it felt as if they shot two different Thanksgiving slasher films. One which was slightly yeah, I would say well maybe even slightly much more comedic and kind of pun heavy and kind of kitschy. And one that was sort of much more kind of generic, modern 2000s. I don't mean 2020s or even 2010s. I mean 2000s slasher movie. And then they they took the scenes, they put them into the to Adobe Premiere, hit shuffle, rearranged a couple of things in the timeline, exported, and said, there's your movie. It's nuts. And there's two editors on this thing. And I looked at who edited, and they are, they've edited some of the worst edited films and TV shows I've ever seen. And it, it made absolute perfect sense. This movie is a mess. It's, I, got, I don't know, 90-something percent in Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, everybody, I know I'm completely out of step with everybody else. And everybody said, well, the, the, the kills are pretty gory, and they're pretty, some of them are funny, and that's 100% true. And, and what's so frustrating about it is there's a couple of set pieces in this movie that are ab absolutely well thought out, well executed. A couple of them that are really good at raising tension. And they're not, they're not, they're, 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 they're hampered by bad editing. And it completely stripped me out of the movie every single time. Because the scene starts to work and then there's just like this, it's randomly edited and all of a sudden it's like, I don't mean like we're just completely, it's hard to describe unless you see it without me completely spoiling the movie, but it has the exact same problems as the Marvels. So it makes me wonder, were there massive reshoots in this movie? What, what happened here? And the larger question, which I hope to get into with Patreon is, why, why aren't we able to edit movies anymore? 
What happened? And I mean, this is like the last like three years. And so is, is this COVID related stuff? Are we still getting the ramifications of, you know, COVID stuff? I don't know. Are we going to get back to the point where major released films are edited in a coherent way? Or do we have a new generation of editors who've only ever worked in software, which is my theory, and never actually had to hand cut a, a film, actual film stock? And so they don't understand how precise you have to be. Like there isn't that meticulous craftsmanship of editing anymore. And you can shoot the best stuff and you can have the best effects and you can have the best gags and you can have pretty good direction and you can have good performances. And if you've got a bad edit of the movie, the movie's fucked. The editing is the final writer. It's the final creative piece really of a film. You know, and it can completely take you out of it. And that, unfortunately, is the case here. This movie works, I think, in fits and starts. But even the scenes that should really, really work are hampered by bad editing. And even if even if a scene starts, I mean, where I ended up with this movie was I ended up just sort of clenching my fist as I was watching it and cl like clenching my ass cheeks going, God, this is, this is an okay scene. Can we just get this fucking scene across the finish line so I can enjoy five minutes of this movie uninterrupted and at the fifth minute they'd fuck it up every single time every single time the next scene would start it would fuck it up and it'd be there'd be complete incontinuity and i'd be like well that just retro that just retroactively fucked up the last five minutes that i just watched it's here's what i would say if you hadn't just watched a bunch of the genre Maybe you wouldn't be so nitpicky about this. If you're unlike me and you watch, I'm at over 300 films that I've watched this year, which is not a normal amount of movies that anybody should watch. I know people listening to this have watched 200, 300, 400 more movies than that. I watched 700 films this year. God bless you. But the average person is watching way fewer than 320 some films. Probably we're going to be getting close to probably 356 by the end of the year. That's a movie a day. Most people aren't watching close to a movie a day. Um, most people are like are watching maybe a movie a week, maybe, right? So the average person may go to this thing and just be like, it's fine, right? It, it's, it, it, it it's, does what it says it's going to do. It's got some good kills. It's got some good practical effects. It's got some, you know, it, it's a decent enough looking movie. But to me, as somebody who has has watched 300 some films this year alone, has watched thousands of movies in his lifetime. Uh, that's not a brag. That's just, is there anything that's to my shame? Uh, <laughs> I just like, I you, this is not coherent at times. This is just not coherent. There's no control. And by the way, the score will flip. The score will flip from being kind of light and comedic, and then all of a sudden we're just being we're we're, we're plunged into. It, we're midway in a scene. We're midway in the score. You know, there's no, there's no transition, right? You used to watch movies, the, and they would, oh, it's light and it's playful. Honestly, the early screams are very good at this, right? It kind of bounces around from, like, Dewey's theme, which is kind of, like, childlike, innocent, and then it would, like, slowly morph into something that's a little bit, a little bit more ominous, a little bit more threatening because maybe there's a phone call, and then it would transition into, you know, a chase sequence of some kind or a sudden kill and it's like, 
Scream movies weren't the greatest movies ever made, but but the first few, they have total control over their tone. And they have total control over what's happening scene to scene. We're not just like jumping around and we don't know what's going on. This movie is a, a badly made film. And I also, I think the script is absolutely terrible. The dialogue is horrendous. The performances are horrendous. Um, I don't think there's a... a some of the more like I guess I would say adult with like the older performers are fine. Character motivations don't make any sense. We don't know any of these characters. We don't like any of these characters. I mean, again, watch the blob in a short amount of time. Kids eating jello after dinner before they go to the movies. You know who those kids are, who their mom is, what they want, where they're going, what's gonna happen. What happened? Now, I know I'm saying, okay, oh, well, Frank Darabont, like, you know, one of the great screenwriters. But come on. We used to be able to make movies. I just can't. What happened? I can't recommend this movie. It's two out of five stars. I, I don't think it's good at all. I don't know what everybody else is smoking. I'm on an island by myself. If you've seen it, tell me if you're crazy. If I'm crazy, I'll tell you that I think you're crazy if you liked it. Um... I, there's things to like about it. It's not irredeemable. It's more frustrating for me because it's like there's there's a pretty good slasher in here somewhere. If somebody had bothered, and by the way, Eli Eli Roth wrote the story idea, but he did not write this script. Maybe it would have been better if Eli just wrote it or bring somebody in who can write some characters. Because this would be my last point on this before I go over to the to the extended run for the patrons. They're not doing what that trailer was doing, right? This is not a intentional homage to 80s grindhouse slashers. This isn't a parody. This isn't a uh, Easter egg filled fan fiction. Da, 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 da. It's trying. It's more than not trying to be a straightforward slasher film with some over the top kind of cheesy dark humor thrown on top of it, but it's not trying to emulate like the grindhouse movies were a particular aesthetic or a particular, you know, the, the, the characters are not pastiches of characters that you would have seen in slasher films. They, they kind of are, but they feel very much more like sort of modern characters. It's a very modern lower budget horror movie script. Although it does feel kind of dated story-wise. And, and, and so because of that, it's it's not like, well, it's intentionally one-dimensional. No, I don't ever have a sense that they... I don't have a sense that what doesn't work about the movie is an intentional aesthetic decision. I have the, the sense that the movie is not good. And that is a different thing altogether. Okay, uh, two out of five stars for me. I would not recommend it that you see go, go to the theaters to see this. I would not. Watch it at home. It'll be streaming... It's on Sony, so God, who knows where it'll end up. Probably Netflix. Um, watch it on a streaming service. Don't don't go to the theaters to see it. That's my opinion. Tell me you think I'm crazy. Tell me why I'm wrong in the comments below or wherever you can find us, at Binge Movies on Twitter, at Binge Movies Lives on Instagram, at Binge Movies on Letterboxd. Find us, follow us, do all the great stuff. Leave us a five-star review if you would. We appreciate it. If you are a Patreon, this thing rolls on. If you're not, until next time, binge on. Thank <laughs> you.